0: hey everybody it's me it's just me you're just gonna get me this episode how are you guys oh gosh what a week this has been in a good way but also in a very very pilot on life way And we're going to get into all of it. A lot of it has nothing to do with the entertainment industry at all. It's just life. But you know what? Life happens when you're trying to do a thousand other things. Or what do they say? Life happens when you're making plans. Well, I had a lot of plans this week that I had to cancel. So you want to hear about all this? Do you guys care? I'm going to answer some of your questions that you guys uh, gave me on Instagram. And um, we're going to have a good episode. So let's let's get into it, you guys. So hey, let me tell you what has been happening. So this week, um, my first of all, my husband's away. He's been out of town uh, working for five weeks, so I've been on Mommy duty. I would call myself more of a momtress uh, in these past five weeks because I haven't been doing much performing or acting. It's all been mom-trissing. That's mom and actress mixed together, by the way. So I've been juggling a lot, which, you know, happens. Everybody does it. But for some reason, this week, we had a heat wave here in Los Angeles, and the air conditioning went out. And I spent two days trying to figure out what the heck we were going to do, barely sleeping, trying to go to work, trying to get the kids to cool off. Then my son has a fever. Uh, it just kept piling on. In fact, you guys, I didn't even get to watch the Tony awards because of all the craziness. I just sat there. Um, you know, my poor son had a fever, but I just, you know, I just sat there taking care of him and not really watching the Tony awards, which I regret. I wish, um, I could, but I have seen clips. Uh, and of course I am so excited For the people who have won, I had two people that I really wanted to win, and one of them won. Um, My friend Patrick Page, who I worked with a thousand years ago at Madison Square Garden, he was nominated for a Tony, and my friend Stephanie Block, who I've never worked with but I've known her since oh my god the year two thousand, and I've thought she should won a Tony back then, and she finally won her Tony. So I got Stephanie winning her Tony, and Patrick did not. But Patrick, let me tell you, it's coming you are phenomenal. And let's talk about the Tonys a little bit because here's the thing you guys. Awards are awesome. I have no awards. <laughs> I have I have a Barrymore nomination that I got when I was 19 for best supporting actress in a musical and I'm very proud of that. But I never really talk about it. It's not like it's something I boast about, but here's here's the thing. Awards are great. The Tony Awards is Prom night for the entertainment industry, or prom night for Broadway, really, the theater world. And I love it. I love all of it. I've been to the Tonys twice. I've performed on it twice. Never been nominated, but it's there's a part of me that, you know, I'm kind of glad that I wasn't nominated when I was younger, because I, I have a different perspective about it, which I'm sure some of you guys share, And it's not because I haven't been nominated or I haven't won a Tony. It's that Tony, Oscar, Grammy, all of the award shows, I kind of, in my brain, I shift to not how I thought when I was a kid. I used to think when I was a kid that those were the best artists in the world. And let me tell you, they are. There is a lot of amazing talent. But it's not the best in the world because there's a lot of people sitting on their couches. There's a lot of people doing shows other places who just, the you know, nothing lined up for them to be nominated for a Tony or for them to even be in the running for that type of role that would garner them a Tony Award. So I'm speaking to those people right now who are sitting on their couches watching the Tony Awards or the Grammys or whatever award show it is, I don't want people to think or artists to think that they are lacking somehow because they're not on the other side of the television. You are still a divine, wonderful, talented artist. And a lot of times you just haven't had your break yet and you might never get that break. And that is something that I've had to wrangle with in my knowledge of the entertainment industry is it may never happen. You may never get to that point, but it doesn't mean that you aren't hardworking and it doesn't mean you're not talented. Are you hearing me, beautiful artists out there? It's a big lesson to learn. When I was a kid and I used to sit on the, sit on the carpet and watch the television and watch the Tonys and watch you know all the award shows, I thought that that was the culmination of the best of the best. And that was how you got there. And it's, it's a part of it, but it's also not all of it. There are many talented people who never make it to that level. And I need all of those artists to hold on to the fact that they're just as talented. Now, listen, it sounds, you know, Pollyanna and all that stuff, Because the people who are sitting on their couches would desperately love to be in that position, and not just for the recognition, but because it pays your bills, because it's a job that you can actually make a living at, and sometimes a very good living. And you sitting on your couch, you're maybe making a living at being an actress or an artist or a singer or whatever, but you're probably not. So that's the really hard part about it, is The opportunity that you get when you're at that level and the recognition and the money and all those things that you, you just want to be able to do what you love. It's really the truth. You guys, I'm doing this recording in my bedroom and I have a, um, one of those throw pillows, you know, you put on your bed and it says love. And that's what it all boils down to is love. And I'm staring at that pillow right now because I'm literally recording this in my bedroom because of that cricket that's in my garage studio that didn't allow me to record this episode in the garage. I told you guys I'm having a week. I am having a week, but we are going to, um, we're going to have fun with this episode. I'm going to move on from the Tonys. We will talk more about the Tony awards, um, in the coming weeks because I have some wonderful actresses who are going to talk to me who have either won a Tony nominated for a Tony or, Um, lost a Tony, but it was nominated. So I'm going to have those great actresses uh, as guests coming up soon. So this episode, as you can tell, is a little different. Um, It's put together a little different. I decided to use some little interludes with Anchor, and um, I think they're kind of cute. I think it's kind of fun. So I hope you guys enjoy it. So I'm going to move on to some questions that I got on Instagram, and I'm going to start with uh, his handle is Greg Lake Forever. (laughs) So uh, I'm going to call you Greg. Asked how old I was when I first started performing. So um, the full comment is, how old were you when you first started performing? Your sons are really talented being so young. Of course, they got a double punch of talent from you and your hubby. Thank you. That's very sweet. I appreciate that. Um, I have nothing to do with my sons being talented or not. I think that that was just divine intervention from whoever put their genes together but yes, my husband and I both love performing so the genes didn't clash for both of them they they both really love performing so we'll see we'll see how that goes. I am a big believer in just fostering whatever it is that they love to do. So whether that be, you know, um, anything, whatever they, whatever it is that they want to do with their life, we are on board with being supportive for them. So thank you. So how old was I when I first started performing? Oh, man. Well, my parents would say, um, you know, I was like, as soon as I could walk, I was performing in the family room of my of my house growing up, but the first time I ever performed, um, I was three years old, and I was on stage for a dance recital, and that was the first time I really performed on stage, and I do remember that it was it's it's a very vivid memory for me, but the first time that I was ever paid to be to perform as a professional. I was 13 and it was Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella and it was at the, um, City Arts Theater Concord in Concord, California. And I remember getting a check, uh, getting paid for that. And I thought, wait a minute, you can get paid for this? Like this is something I can do. And I loved that. I thought that was amazing. And that was, that was the first time I ever really performed. So super young, but, um, yeah, that was all I ever wanted to do. So that was a good question. Thank you. Can you guys tell that I have a little bit of a raspy voice? It's a little bedroom voice, which makes sense because I'm in my bedroom, but, um, yeah, I've, uh, (laughs) it's been a week. I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again. It's been a week. So um, my next question comes from Julie Smith, 75. Hey, were you born in 75? So was I. 75, here we go. So Julie says, I'd love to hear about the early years right after graduation. So my journey uh, in finding an agent, manager, et cetera. Julie went to AMDA as well as myself. So, yeah, this is, this is kind of like a... Um, A long comment, which is going to be great because I'm going to talk about all of this, Julie. This is really great that you asked me. My early years right after graduation. Oh, my God. Right after graduating from AMDA, my journey in finding an agent and a manager. I'm going to start there. So, wow. My, oh, God. Right after graduation, I was cast in a show that was in Philadelphia, which is where I got my Barrymore nomination, It was a terrible little experience, a terribly wonderful experience. And I say that because we had nowhere to rehearse. It was the winter in Philadelphia. We were sleeping in this terrible apartment that was in South Philly, not a very safe neighborhood. Um, And we were rehearsing in an abandoned church with no heat and no water. We had to go across the street to the 7-Eleven to go to the bathroom, and it was non-equity, which means that it wasn't union, so there was nobody really taking care of us and making sure that we were okay, but I was excited. I mean, I was cast in the show five days out of graduation from AMDA, and I thought, you know, it was a great musical called Nightclub Confidential, and I was playing Dorothy, Um, and Nobody came to see it in Philadelphia. We were at the basement of the Borse Building, the Philadelphia Area Repertory Theater. That was the name of the theater. It's no longer around. I think that show is actually the reason why it went under. Um, but it was an experience, and it was not anything that propelled me into anything else. It was short-lived, and it closed early because nobody saw it. But for some reason, the people who saw it from the Barrymore Barrymore Awards, they nominated me. So there you go. My journey to get an agent was difficult. So I, oh man, I think I, you know, my college set up some, some agents to come and see us in our showcase. Nobody called me, not one person. And so what I started doing was I literally put my headshot and resume in my backpack and I walked around. I got something called the Ross reports. This is back in like 1995. And I got something called the Ross reports and it was like a list of agencies. So I just started walking around to different agencies with my headshots and resumes and seeing if I could just walk in and give them, give the receptionist or speak to the head of the agency and give them my headshot and resume and request an interview. That's what I did, you guys. And it worked, believe it or not. It's not something I believe you can do nowadays, but it worked. I walked into a place called Waters and Nicolosi, which Jeannie Nicolosi and Bob Waters were the heads of that agency. And it was a small agency, but it was right in Times Square. I remember walking up the building, walking up to the building and and going up the elevator and just walking in. And I guess it happened to be lunch break because Bob Waters was out in the front reception area and saw me sitting there with my headshot and resume. And he asked if I had an appointment. And I said, no, I'm here to see um, the head of the agency. (laughs) I think that's what I said. And um, that was him, but he didn't let on that that was him. And I just handed him my resume and he said, you know, come back and meet with one of our agents. And John Woodward was the agent that I ended up being with there. And all the way up until 42nd street, all the way up until I got my first big Broadway show. So It worked for me, but that's how I did it. I really just, it was pounding on, pounding the pavement and pounding on doors and seeing if anyone would pay attention to me. So that's, that's a good question. So how long did I audition before I was represented by an agency? So I did, you know, at the time it was backstage, the paper. There was no online, you guys. This was 1995. So I'm really dating myself. But um, I used to go get the paper the night before it came out, uh, backstage. I don't remember what day it came out. I want to say it was a Thursday. So like Wednesday night, we would go to the newspaper stands in New York and get the, um, backstage. And then you would look through and see what you were right for and you would circle it. And then you would set up your schedule for the week or the next, the weekend or whatever it was. And I did that, um, for a few years. But as I said, I got cast pretty early out outside of school. Five days after graduation, I was cast. And then I came back to New York and, uh, yeah, started auditioning that way. Um, I don't remember how long it was before. I think it was about, I want to say it was about a year. And I did, um, I remember my audition for theater by the sea in Rhode Island, which is still there that was my first summer stock job and I did get the season. Um, I, you know, I never really went too long without working, which was very, uh, beneficial to my spirit, but also, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I, I, I booked a lot, which was great, but my first summer stock job, I booked, um, little roadies, big burlesque, and I stripped as Marilyn Monroe to the song, I Want to Be Loved by You. Oh my God, I remember that. Wow. That was amazing. And then I did all these little skits as the dumb blonde in that show. And then the middle show in that Theater by the Sea summer was Singing in the Rain and I played Kathy Selden, and that was awesome. That was such a fun experience. And then I played... The mistress in Evita, which was the last show. So imagine rehearsing Evita during the day and then performing singing in the rain at night. It was just is such a so different in terms of the um, the shows. So I did that, and then out of that, I got cast by the same company. I got cast as Polly Baker in the national tour of. Um, this is all non-equity, by the way. So I wasn't equity, but it was the national tour. Of Crazy for You, the non equity national tour of Crazy for You, opposite Noah Racy. And I played Polly Baker, and I was 20 years old. So I couldn't even, you know, really party like you do on the road because I couldn't drink. But let me tell you, I still partied, you guys. <laughs> um, but it was really, really awesome to do that. And I did that for about six months. And then that rolled into uh, the same company doing the national tour of singing in the rain. And because I had played Kathy Selden for them, they wanted me to do Kathy Selden on the road. So I did that. Um, And that was kind of just one thing rolled into the next and then rolled into the next. And then after I played Kathy Selden was when I came back to New York and that's when I found my agent. So it was a while, but I was working a lot. So I wasn't doing a lot of auditioning on my own with with backstage, but I, I did, that was the newspaper that I used was backstage. And that's how I found my audition. So Julie goes on to ask about, you know, um, the time between school, graduating school and SAG, which is Screen Actors Guild has always interested her. So what are the steps? Where do you start? Who do you contact about becoming SAG? So becoming union for me Um, And SAG is the Screen Actors Guild, which is now melded with uh, AFTRA, which is the American Federation of Radio and Television Artists. So SAG and AFTRA are now SAG-AFTRA. So they're one, and that is um, more film and television. Actors' Equity Association, I became um, union when I came back to New York and I auditioned for Madison Square Garden Christmas Carol. uh, And I booked that job. And that was my first equity job. And because I booked an equity job, um, then I became equity with that, with that job. I just bought into the union. I think it was $800 at the time. And I just bought into the union and then had a union job. So there's many different ways to become union. That was how I did it. And the way that I got that audition was I was taking dance class at Broadway Dance And there was, actually, there was two people that were involved in me getting that audition, I found out later. Um, My teacher from AMDA, Cindy Tolley, who I'm still friends with, she had recommended me because she was one of the dancers in the show. They needed an immediate replacement, and I think internally, uh, the creative team was asking people who was in the show already, who did they know that could fit this description of, you know, so-and-so. She has to be able to tap dance. She has to be able to sing and all that stuff. So Cindy Tolley recommended me. But then also I found out later I was taking Chet Walker's dance class at Broadway Dance and Rami Sandu mentioned me as well. Um, to So both of them, so Cindy Tolley and Rami Sandu mentioned me to the creative team, which was Susan Stroman and uh, Paul Gimignani. And, um, oh my gosh, uh, Mike Ockrent, who's passed away. was such a wonderful director. All of the people who were the creative team for crazy for you on Broadway, they, um, both Cindy and Rami recommended me. So that's how I got the audition. They called my agent. They found me, called my agent, and I was working as a hostess on Friday. And then Monday morning I was in rehearsal with Susan Stroman. So, I always tell you guys that things in the industry can happen really fast and can change at the drop of a hat. And that was a moment that changed my whole life. So that's how I became not only equity, but I feel like that was my first real big break into the industry. So the last part of Julie's question is, oh, is a big one. And, um, you know, she says now as a mom, how do you navigate growing kids who crave a schedule in the career of a performer whose schedule is by nature so fluid? So it's such a great question. And, you know, going into how do you, how are you a mom and an artist? And the truth is, I'm not really, the truth is, is that my career has stopped um, in a lot of ways, it, not because of my kids, because my my career was going in a strange place before that I was not working as steadily before that and I really think that's because the entertainment industry craves youth and I was in my it was kind of started started slowing down for me in my mid-30s in my like right around like 35 and I feel like if, if you're not uh, if you don't quote-unquote make it by the time you're in your 30s that you start to be put into a different category or you sort of get lost for a while. Until you grow into, I, I don't know, there's, there's so many reasons why. But especially for women, um, when that happens, it's, it can be devastating. And it was for me. But the truth is, is that at 35 is when I had my son, Maxwell. And everything shifted for me in a good way. I really felt like my purpose, I, I've always said this, that if I was to be given the, the choice whether to be an actress and star on Broadway or be a mom, I would be a mom in a heartbeat because the entertainment industry is fleeting. And yes, I love it. I love it. And I'm glad that I've been able to do both. But right now I'm in the, I'm in the thick of it. I have two young kids. My husband is also an actor and he travels a lot. Um, and we are, we are doing everything we can to juggle it all. The people who juggle it really well, I feel like from my knowledge, and of course I'm not speaking for the thousands of other different scenarios that it is of having two artists as parents, but they either have phenomenal child care, um, they are making enough money that they can pay for a nanny. Uh, I have one of the most fabulous people in my life to have ever been in my life, which is my mother-in-law. And she, luckily, is somebody who is willing to drop everything to take care of our kids when we need her, which is such a gift. And, um, But it's not sustainable, really. I mean, there's a lot of juggling that's happening. And like you said, Julie, fluidity within an artist's life because you can't really plan. And the more successful you are, yes, the more you have sort of a a plan or sort of a, like, You can plan out your schedule for maybe the next year or so. Like I'm doing this movie, but then I'm going on a press tour and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And sometimes it becomes more hectic the more famous you are or the more successful that you are. And you're trying to juggle it all. And the truth is, is that a lot of us are just hanging on by a thread, you know, Um, you're trying to do it all and make sure that the kids know that mommy and daddy are always here. We love you and we're doing what we love and we're showing you that we are doing what we love so then you will someday do what you love. And I think that the, um, the axis of our family is love. I go back to love in my pillow that I'm sitting in front of. Um, I think that's really the most important thing is to really show your kids that you are doing what you love and you are juggling it all and you are a stable, there's always a stable person in our kids' lives. So I feel like that, I hope that answered your question. And I hope that that's, um, uh, a good explanation of what we are doing right now. Um, we've been able to juggle, juggle, I can't speak, sorry. We've been able to juggle back and forth between my husband and I working because I'm not working as much as he is right now. I'm just not, I'm in a lull in my career. um, and I'm not choosing to travel because I really—I mean, I'll do concerts here and there, but I'm not going to go. N- nothing's been offered to me that is like a national tour that's going to take me away from my family. If I was offered something that was um, something I could not—I could not turn down because of the opportunity and the money and all the amazingness of what it is, I would cross that bridge when I get to it, and maybe bring my family on the road. Who knows? But right now, we're just juggling it as well as we can. So I hope that that uh, answered your question. And, and that's all the, the fan questions that I got. But those, I think, are pretty great, right? I think that that um, was a pretty great uh, segment, <laughs> if you will. Well, that's it, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning in for this week's episode. I promise next week I will have a fabulous interview for you. And as I always say, have vision for what you want, but be be grateful for where you are. And I'm grateful that I have you all listening to this podcast and as a part of my life. So thank you and have a great week.